will be our scripture reading. 1 Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13, you know this to be a chapter that brings to us the different qualities of love, but more pertaining to our purpose uh, this evening, I want to start reading at verse 8, verse 8, so chapter 13, verses uh, 8 through 13, okay? Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect comes, then the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then shall I know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abides these, th- these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's bow together. Our Holy Father, we're grateful that we can be together, that we can open up your Holy Word. We pray at this time, Father, that you, that you would help us to open up our hearts and that we would be open to your will. Lord, we're grateful for your goodness in so many different ways, especially in that you sent your son to die for our sins. Thank you, Lord. Help us to ever devote ourselves to walk in your ways. Lord, we're grateful for the possibility of salvation in Christ. We're thankful for the suffering that he did in our behalf. For everything, Father, that that you are and that you have done for our salvation, we thank you so much. Lord, we're also mindful of the everyday blessings such as food and water and transportation and places to live and lay our head. Father, we're thankful. We know we don't need much in this life, Father, but we thank you for what you give us. We pray these things may strengthen us so that we may have the means to to walk in your sight and to please you and to be a, a good example for others. Lord, we are mindful of those that need your help in special ways and extra ways, those who have been struggling with sickness and health. We're praying for them, Lord, all those on our list and and many more. For those also, Father, who have lost their loved ones of late, we pray your blessing, Father. We pray that that these that have uh, and are suffering grief may find your word, may find your love, that they may be comforted. Lord, we're thankful for the great hope of heaven up above. We pray that our, our whole being will be focused 
on that goal. And Lord, we pray for our, our families here. We pray for our moms and dads. Pray for our children. Pray for those who are, are with the little ones uh, this evening. We pray for every class that's meeting here and elsewhere throughout our great brotherhood, Father. We pray your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been looking at uh, mistakes that people make here on Wednesday night. We've been looking and studying about errors and mistakes that people make in religion. And we have noticed a variety of, of matters from, um, from ideals about the kingdom and ideals about uh, faith and this evening we want to focus on uh, miracles, miracles, mistakes made about Bible uh, miracles. I think it's important as we discuss miracles that we, we call miracles Bible miracles, Bible miracles. The word miracle, miracle is kind of shoved around a lot nowadays and People use it rather loosely, but we want to make a distinction. And when we're referring to miracles, Bible miracles. Think about Bible miracles. Now, we'll be looking at how that the scriptures teach that miracles no longer exist in our day on earth uh, during everyday living. But as we notice this, let's remind ourselves of a couple of things. First, when we say that miracles have ceased, we are not denying uh, their existence as they were in the Bible. We're just simply thinking about how that uh, miracles do not continue, but we don't deny that they have existed. And we enjoy reading about them. In fact, it's very important that we read and study the miracles of both the Old Testament and New Testament during the lifetime of Jesus, the miracles of Jesus, and the miracles uh, performed by the apostles. So we're not, we're not saying they never existed, but that um, the continuation of the miracles is what we're looking at. And then we're also not denying the power of God. We're just simply studying um, how and when he chooses to exercise of that power. We're not, also, we're not denying providence and prayer. That is huge in our lives, and we don't want to deny the fact that God does operate in a providential way and in answering prayer. Maybe this would be a good time. Would someone like to, to tell us the difference between prayer and providence? Or rather, I should say, what's the difference between a miracle and providence? What would be a difference? How would you spell out the difference between a miracle and then God's providence? How would you describe that?
Okay? Brother Paul is saying very correctly that in providence, God uses his, uses his own natural law that he set up, his own natural law. And he works in our behalf, in behalf of his own will, uh, more naturally, uh, oftentimes behind the scenes, oftentimes indirectly, but surely uh, he is he's working. Whereas in a miracle, uh, God, when he performed miracles, he, um, he suspends natural law and does his work, or he overrides, supersedes natural law. Um, maybe one example would be uh, if we were going to uh, try to grow um, vines of grapes, we would, we would cultivate the soil, we would plant our, our seed, we would nurture it, and it would grow and produce a harvest, and then we would gather and enjoy. But in John 2, when Jesus was at the wedding, he simply turned water into wine, didn't he? Okay. He superseded, he, uh, he overrode uh, natural law. He skipped over the natural business and went right to uh, turning water to wine. That's a miracle. That's a miracle. When the Apostle Paul prayed that, you know, his desire was to go to Rome. He wanted to get to Rome and preach the gospel and then go on to Spain after that. Well, he got to Rome, but he got there as a prisoner, okay, through the natural, natural means of um, the evil of men, and yet um, his imprisonment, um, through a ship and a shipwreck, all of that. He finally did get to Rome, and he had the opportunity to teach the gospel in Rome, not in the way he had planned, but he did get there through many natural means. Okay. So, miracles do not exist in our day, and we're going to notice four major reasons. Four major reasons, okay? And then we will notice some arguments that are made both ways uh, as we conclude our class. So let's notice four major reasons why miracles do not exist today. First, um, the purpose, the purpose, the purpose of miracles has been accomplished already. That's why they do not exist today. The purpose of miracles has been accomplished already. Now let's be turning to Mark chapter uh, 16 and get ready to turn over to a few passages here. But look at Mark 16 to begin with, and you'll notice that Jesus uh, is telling his disciples, apostles, that they would have the ability to do uh, several miracles as they go and preach. Um, notice verse 17, these signs will accompany those uh, in my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands. If they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. So then the Lord Jesus, after he had spoken to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirm the message by these accompanying signs. 
So these accompanying signs, the signs mentioned here in verses 17, 18, these signs accompanied them, went with them, they were able to do them, and they confirmed the message. So the purpose that's accomplished by the miracles was to confirm the word. Confirm, confirm. Now let's keep something in mind as we move along. God had a project in mind, okay, and that was to complete his message to the world, to us, okay, to complete the gospel, to complete the New Testament, to complete his revelation, his revealing to mankind. So the purpose of these miracles was to confirm the word, that is to verify, to show that um, what was being taught was actually true, that it come uh, from heaven to establish the trueness of what was being uh, said. Confirm. Let's look at a couple of other passages. Uh, jump over with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews 2. Let's try to turn rather swiftly as we notice these. But uh, Hebrews chapter 2. We'll just pick up in verse 3, Hebrews 2, 3. How should we escape if we neglect such a great uh, salvation? This salvation was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Okay, so notice how that this message, okay, this message of salvation, it was declared first by the Lord and then by others, and it was attested, it was, it was um, confirmed, it was witnessed to us by those who heard while God bore witness by these signs and wonders. Okay. I like this one here in Acts 14. Acts 14. As they go and preach the word here in these early days of the church. Notice this in Acts 14 in verse uh, 3. They are, uh, Paul and company are, have come to Iconium uh, to preach. And um, notice verse 3. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Okay, there it is right there. So as they stayed there for a while and boldly preached, the Lord bore witness, confirming that word by the signs and wonders. So see, the purpose of miracles was not necessarily to take away suffering, even though some of the miracles had to do with you know, casting out demons or um, healing the sick and doing a variety of things that would help people. But that wasn't, the main purpose was not to, to take away the suffering. Okay. Not everybody was healed. Okay. In fact, a lot of people remained sick and, and afflicted even in these days of miracles. Okay. One prime example would be uh, the Apostle Paul himself, 
You know, 2 Corinthians 12 speaks of Paul having a thorn. You remember reading about that? Thorn in the flesh. Okay. Paul didn't take that away. Another apostle didn't come and heal him, whatever that was. It definitely irritated Paul. It was a deterrent to him. Okay. He asked the Lord to remove it. The Lord did not remove it. So he lived with that thorn in the flesh. He was not cured of that thorn in the flesh. And so the purpose of miracles was this confirming of the word, not necessarily to go around and relieve the suffering of everybody. Okay. So we wanted to make uh, that real, real clear. You can read in other places, um, such as uh, 2 Timothy 4, at the end of that book of 2 Timothy, Paul mentions a, a, one of his co-workers named Trophimus, and he said, my buddy... Trophimus has been sick and he's at a place called Miletus and, and Paul was telling the other brethren about him being sick. Okay. Well, why didn't he just go heal Trophimus? Well, that wasn't in the will of God. God was guiding these men who could do the miracles as to when and where and with who they would do the miracles and it, the purpose behind it was when God felt like the message needed to be uh, validated need to be verified uh, by these signs and wonders. Okay. So we don't have miracles today because the purpose of miracles has been accomplished. Let's see if we can think about it a couple of ways here. Um, when, a, when a building goes up or a house goes up um, or whether a house may be being repaired or whatever, you know, they put these platforms out next to it scaffolding, scaffolding, you know, they put those out and those, they erect those and those platforms hold the workers and they hold the materials and that is used as they repair or as they build a house, laying brick, installing windows. But once the house is completed, then those platforms are removed. Okay. And it's similar in the days of the miracles. The miracles stayed around until God's purpose was accomplished, until the, the gospel was confirmed, until the gospel was completed. Remember, as we read the New Testament, in the back of our minds, underneath it all, God has one, one big project is to complete this gospel. Okay. And so once the gospel is completed, then the miracles are taken away, much like the scaffolding of around a building. Okay. Also remember that everything began with a miracle, didn't it? Okay. God began everything with a miracle, but he perpetuated, he kept these things going through natural law. Way back when, God uh, created trees. The first oak tree was a miracle. But afterwards, God put the power of reproducing oak trees in the seed. You open up a little acorn, get the seed out, plant it about four or five inches in the ground, nurture that, make sure it gets plenty of sunshine, you have an oak tree. Okay. So everything really began with a miracle, but then God continues that through a more natural process. And so even in the early days of the church, 
God let, had the church and the early teachers operate in an atmosphere of miracles. Okay. But now uh, the gospel continues, the church continues through a more natural means of simply reading God's word since it's now being confirmed, since it's now completed, we can just read it and we can learn and reread it and learn and help each other learn and we can come to the same salvation that they had in those early days. So reason number one, the purpose for miracles has been accomplished. Now let's go back to our uh, passage in 1 Corinthians 13. Notice the second reason is the perfect, that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 13, 8 to 13, the perfect has come. That's the second reason why we don't have miracles today. The perfect has come. The perfect mentioned there in 1 Corinthians 13, it has already come. That's why we don't have miracles. So looking there in 1 Corinthians 13, let me ask you, what is it that is supposed to vanish away and cease and go away? According to chapter 13, verses 8 and 9, what, what is it that's supposed to go away? Chapter Yeah, specifically mentioned there are what, what words? Prophecies and tongues and knowledge. Okay, knowledge. Not that we won't have knowledge anymore, but what they were receiving was supernatural knowledge, direct knowledge from God. Okay, and so all of that, remember, all of that has to do with with uh, the the will of God. It has to do with the uh, what God is revealing in His gospel, prophecies and knowledge and then tongues or languages. So it's the receiving of the knowledge from God and it's the communicating of that knowledge. Okay. And all that being done supernaturally in those days would vanish away. It would, there's coming a time when it would cease. Okay. So you see that, that we're just simply follow, following the Bible. When we say miracles don't exist today, we're just reading what Paul says and then we're trying to make application to ourselves and to our day. Okay. Now, looking there at chapter 13, when would these miracles cease? When would they cease? When the perfect come. When the perfect come. So there is a time these are going to cease. Okay, now you got to do, third question is, what is the perfect? What is the perfect? Now, those who contend they can do miracles today will say the perfect there is Jesus. Okay. But this is not, he's not talking about Jesus there. All right. The, the word perfect doesn't mean sinless there. It doesn't mean sinless. It means, it means that which is mature, that which is full grown, that which is complete, that which is finished, okay. that which has, has become entire in its, in its nature. Okay. I'm not talking about Jesus here. He's not, he's not saying a who here. He's talking about that which is perfect. In other words, he's talking about a circumstance and object in mind. Okay. So when that which is perfect is coming, I'm not talking about Jesus. Even though we know Jesus as far as sin goes and as far as communication and actions go, he was, he was sinlessly perfect. Okay. 
Nobody ever like him. But here, he's talking about he's talking about the gospel. He's talking about when when the gospel is completed, when the gospel has come to its finished point. Okay, when the gospel becomes full grown, then that's the perfect. Okay, uh, a good reference here is James one twenty five. James one twenty five. And if you ever write in your Bible, this is a great time to write in your Bible. James 1.25, you put it right out by the side there in 1 Corinthians uh, 13. Uh, always help us remember what he's talking about. But James 1.25, whoever continues in the perfect law of liberty, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So notice how that James describes the law of God, the gospel of God, our New Testaments, he calls that the perfect, okay? Same word, mature, complete, finished, the finished law of liberty. Okay, that's, when we serve Jesus in the New Testament, we are serving the law of liberty, and it has been completed. It's, it is perfect, mature. When Jesus told the apostles in John 16, 13, he said, when the spirit of truth comes upon you, he will guide, guide you into all the truth. Okay, every bit of it. All the truth. See, that's the reason we don't need miracles today is because the truth has been delivered. It has been completed. Okay, so when the spirit came upon the apostles in those early days, they would be guided into every bit of the truth. And so looking here in 1 Corinthians 13, we ask this question, okay, what is it that's going to be done away? It's going to vanish. Well, it's the, the early miracles. Okay, when would that happen? Well, whenever the perfect comes. And then we see that the perfect most likely refers to God's revealing his gospel how that it was to become complete. Now, why does Paul refer here in 1 Corinthians 13 to the idea of something being in part? When, when the in part things, why does he keep talking about the in part things? Okay. Well, what he's doing there is he's referring to these miracles as being the in part things. Let's keep in mind his project, God's project, is to complete his gospel. Okay. The in part things refers to bits and pieces and fragments of what needed to be done to contribute to the completion of the gospel. These miracles were done here, miracles were done there, okay, as bits and pieces and fragments of God's revelation, but Finally, he put all that together and delivered unto the world and the scriptures the completed gospel. Think of it in, in terms of mathematic, uh, mathematics. Um, the old rule in mathematics is that uh, the whole is equal to the sum of its parts. Okay? God's project is to get to the whole of revelation, to get, the whole, get to the whole of the gospel. But as he got there, 
these miracles, okay, were the bits and pieces and fragments that eventually contributed to the whole. Okay. And God in his, in his power and providence put all that together. Okay. Now what illustrations does Paul use here in 1 Corinthians 13 to explain this to us? What illustrations does he use? Why does he talk about when I was a child? What's he saying there? What does he say? When I was a child, I did what? Spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I acted like a child. Okay. When Paul grew up, what did he do? He put away those childish things. That's his illustration there to show us that during the time of, this, of these miracles happening, these impart times, that uh, that was much like um, the church being in its infancy. It was being in its childhood. Okay. But uh, Paul says, when I became a man, I put away childish things. So what he's saying here is the miracles were actually the childish things that were necessary in order to put the full-grown thing, which is the gospel, together. Okay. And he's stating there that there was coming a time very shortly when the manhood would arrive, the completed gospel would arrive. That's, that's what we live in uh, today. Okay. The other illustration he uses here is uh, he says we look into a mirror uh, dimly, but then um, later we're able to see someone face to face. Okay? During these early days, they didn't have the completed gospel, so they're looking at things more dimly. Okay? But later, in the manhood stage, they would be able to see things face to face a lot more clearer. Okay? So, in those days, they were seeing things but they had to rely on people that had the miracles. Today, we're able to see things a lot more clearly because we have the completed uh, revelation. Okay. So, second reason, the perfect has come. Now, let's quickly turn over to Acts chapter 6 and 8 and notice the third reason, and the third reason is this. The means, okay, the means of imparting the miracles are no, they're no longer available. Okay. The means of imparting the miracles are no longer available. Okay. Now, let's just do one illustration here. Um, in Acts chapter uh, 6, I want us to zero in on Philip, the preacher. But Philip is first mentioned in Acts 6 as one of the seven who helped with the, with the widows. You see that in Acts 6 and verse 5? Okay. Philip was one of them. The notice Acts 6 and verse 6. So the apostles set before uh, the, these men before them. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. So the apostles were given the powers of miracles. Okay. And then the only way for anybody else to get the powers of the miracles 
was through the apostles laying on their hands. They lay their hands on these seven. Now look at chapter 8 of Acts 8. Looking down to verse uh, 5, we've got Philip, the same Philip. He goes to the city of Samaria. He proclaims to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip. When they heard him, yep, and they saw the signs that he did. Unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice. And many even who were paralyzed and lame were healed by Philip. How did Philip get that power? By the laying on the apostles' hands. Why was Philip doing these miracles? Because he's preaching the Christ. He doesn't have the completed gospel like we do. And so his word needed to be confirmed to these people who were listening. When they saw these miracles and heard him preach, then they could be for sure that it was what he was saying was from heaven. Okay. The way we know that the word being taught is from heaven is simply by now, through more natural means, just simply reading and studying and comparing God's word. Now, here in Acts 8, just a quick reference, verse 14. When the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John. Peter and John are apostles. And they came down and prayed that, the, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you see, Philip was there. Other people were there who were becoming Christians. Just because they became Christians doesn't mean they got this miraculous power. And Philip had the miraculous power, power, but he couldn't pass it on to anybody else. Only the apostles could pass it on. You see. Now, who was the last apostle? Who was the last one? Paul. Paul. In fact, Paul calls himself the last apostle, 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9, as he talks about Jesus appearing to different ones. Um, well, verse 8, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared uh, to me. And so you can see how this kind of worked itself out. The apostles only could lay their hands on other people. In the meantime, God has a time frame in mind where he's going to get his word completed and written down. So as the apostles lived, they eventually died. And then those who's, who had received the laying on the hands of the apostles, they eventually died. And all that timed out to where at that time, after those with the powers died, then the word became complete. Okay. And so the means, what we're saying, the means of being able to impart these powers uh, is no longer available. No longer available. Now, one important thing to do is to compare Bible miracles with what takes place today. 
And since our time is running out, I just want to mention this, and you guys can find it uh, for yourself. One good example, I'll just tell you this, is if you'll take time to read the healing of the lame man by Peter and John in Acts 3, you'll see these different details. Okay? But I want to mention some of the uh, characteristics of Bible miracles uh, and how that is so much different than what we hear about uh, today. All right. One thing about Bible miracles, they were done in the presence of a lot of people. Acts 3, verse 16. They weren't done somewhere or elsewhere or some remote area by someone unnamed. And then somebody shows up and says, well, this guy had a miracle on him. No, the Bible miracles were done in the presence of a lot of people. Several eyewitnesses. Another thing about Bible miracles is the impact of the miracle happened instantaneously, immediately. Here in Acts 3, when Peter and John healed the lame man, he got up immediately and started walking and jumping and rejoicing. Okay? That's the way it is with Bible miracles and Bible healings. Okay? Another thing about Bible miracles is if it involved a healing, the healing was, was complete. Okay, so it's instantaneous. You know, sometimes I'll hear somebody say today that, that so-and-so is healed and it was a miracle. Uh, well, when did the miracle begin? Okay. Well, after three weeks or six weeks or three months, they didn't claim a miracle. Okay. But in the Bible days, it was immediate. If someone performed a miracle, it was done immediately. The guy would get up from his lame position or crippled position and begin to walk immediately. If Jesus cast out a demon, then the impact of that was felt immediately. He was, and he was completely healed. There was, no, there was no limping later. There were no, there were no side effects later. Okay? In Bible miracles, uh, it was instantaneous and it was a complete healing. Also, in Bible times, the healings were, were very difficult. Here in Acts 3, a lame man, lame man. We remember Jesus put an ear back on a guy. Okay. We remember that, that Peter um, raised somebody from the dead. Who did he raise from the dead? Who did Peter raise from the dead? Say it. Dorcas. That's right. Dorcas, Acts chapter 9, Dorcas. Okay. And Jesus raised uh, three from the dead during uh, his lifetime. Paul raised uh, someone from the dead. Who did he raise from the dead? Eutychus. That's right, Acts chapter uh, 20. So these healings of Bible times uh, were often very difficult healings, and then there was the resurrection of the dead. One big difference between miracles claim to be done today in Bible times is when you see a Bible time miracle, there was never a collection of money made. Okay. When you live read through the New Testament, okay, you never see anyone asking for money in association with a, with a miracle. Okay. But the contrast between so-called miracles today and Bible miracles is very compelling. And that's another reason why we say that 
they just do not exist uh, today. All right. So one thing that is really good, at least it works with me sometimes, is somebody uses the word miracle, I will stop them and I'll say, now you talking about a Bible miracle? What are you talking about? Usually they're talking about something that's, that's interesting or something that, that has happened that they're really glad that thing has happened, you know. But it's a good way of starting a conversation because you want to try to help somebody come to the truth of the gospel. You want, you want, you want folks, all of us need to be relying on, on the Lord's New Testament. Right. Now, sometimes people make arguments for miracles today and they'll say, well, uh, God can do anything. Okay? You are limiting God's power because God is able to do anything. Okay. We don't argue with that, do we? We don't argue that God can do anything. God, God can, could God make a watermelon grow on an apple tree? He could do that. God can do anything. But what is it that he actually does? That's the thing. What does he actually do? What does what the word of God spell out as far how he, he created things as miracles in the first place, but then he created a natural means of things reproducing later on. Remember when the Pharisees came to John, Matthew 3, and uh, they came to be baptized of John? And John said, because he could read their thoughts, John said, don't think to say within yourselves, we are Abraham's children, because God can of these stones create children of Abraham. Okay. Just because you're Abraham's lineage doesn't mean that you have a special privilege from God is what John was saying. But notice what John said. God can take, if it was just about creating the lineage children of Abraham, God can take stones and create children of Abraham. It's not about what God might be able to do, because we believe he has all power, but what is it that God actually does? What did he actually do? Now, every once in a while, I hear somebody say concerning the original creation of the universe, They'll say, well, since God can do anything, perhaps he used the process of evolution to create the universe. Okay. Well, God can do anything, but what is it that the Bible says that he actually did? It's not that God can do just anything. What is it that he actually did? What does the Bible say he actually uh, ended up doing? Okay. All right. So if God has all power, can't he create the world in six days? like it says he did? If you believe that he can do anything, why not just believe what he says that he actually did? Okay. Now, there's a statement made in Hebrews 13 that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Therefore, he just does miracles now as he did then. Okay. What would you have to say about that? Since God's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, then why can't he just do miracles as he did back in that day. What would you say? Just say nothing? Let's see. Um, when it says that God's the same today, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, 
It just means his basic nature has never changed. He's still the holy, powerful God he always has been. But what that does not mean is just because God has done something at one time doesn't mean he's going to continue to do that thing all throughout time. Uh, how did the first man and woman come to this earth? Well, Genesis 2, 7 Create them out of the dust of the ground. Breathe into their nostrils the breath of life. Well, men and women do not come to this earth that way anymore. They come through a, a more natural uh, process. Right? God once fed his people by manna from the sky. And he doesn't feed people that way anymore. God once uh, punished Ananias and Sapphira for lying. He struck them dead. Okay. But he doesn't intervene that way today. Now, we, a liar will find, will find punishment from God on the last day, but just because God did, did one thing at one period of time doesn't mean he continues uh, to do that. Okay. All right. So this idea of miracles is all about the Word of God. It's all about the B-I-B-L-E, upon this rock, this, upon this rock we stand, upon, upon the word of God we stand. Miracles can help us to come to appreciate so very much what God has done to bring us these uh, scriptures. Okay. Do you believe that the miracles that you find in the Bible actually did exist? Do you believe in these miracles? Do you believe that they actually were performed? If you believe they were performed, then aren't these enough miracles for us to see that the Word has been confirmed and that Jesus is indeed the Son of God? Do you believe that Jesus walked on water? Do you believe He turned water to wine? Do you believe He wrote... He was raised from the dead. Do you, do you believe he cast out demons, that, that he healed people? If you believe that, aren't those miracles sufficient to establish faith in Jesus and to believe in his word? And that's, that's the gist of the Bible when it comes uh, to miracles. All right, thank you so much for thinking through these thoughts and thinking through these scriptures uh, together, and um, we'll take a break here for about five minutes.